Good morning. <clears throat> Good to see everybody today. How's everyone doing? Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it is a good summer day. I appreciate that rain that cooled us off a little bit. Um, I always uh, uh, appreciate the summer. Uh, the heat makes preaching a little bit easier because as the hotter it gets, the more people want to escape hell. So I think that the, the, uh, the good news is, is that we're going to be ready in season and out of season to preach, but I'm glad for a cool day, too, to get a little reprieve. So with that in mind, um, my name is Roland. I'm the lead pastor here. If I don't know you yet, look forward to getting to know you and meet you. Um, and we are continuing our series today, which is called A Word of Encouragement. Now, how many people appreciated Anthony last week? Yes, Denny does such a great job. Okay, so make sure that you encourage him, that the Word of God encouraged you, because um, he took hours to prepare that message. And so when that Word is prepared for you, you, you want to thank him like a good meal, right? And so with that in mind, you, um, I hope you uh, can take that and run with it. And today what we're doing is we're going into another psalm, which is actually Psalm 62 today, because in the midst of all that we've been experiencing, not only over the past two and a half years, but what persists in the world at large, you know? I mean, it, it's, really, <clears throat> it's really interesting that um, a lot of times, even though there are things going on in the, in the world at large, we try to push it off as much as we can, right, to stay in our isolated worlds, our worlds. But the truth of the matter is, is that right here and right now, there's war going on. There is inflation going on. There's all types of pressures coming by greed and political turmoil. There's anxiety and there's fear. And the truth of the matter is, is that we need to know how to relate with God in the midst of all of that to not have our faith squelched or snuffed out, but instead know how to press into God and know how to thrive in the peace of God, which is in fact a gift and a fruit of the Holy Spirit, how to live in the peace of God in the midst of all that's happening around us. How many people could use some peace in the midst of our world in which we live today? Okay, And so what we're going to talk about today is this focus statement, that God has your peace in mind in the midst of a chaotic world as we become people of prayer. It's to what Pastor Cole was referring earlier in the announcements, and it's what we want to press into today, okay? So we're going to break that message down into three parts. We're going to talk first about the present. Secondly, we're going to talk about the future. And then finally, we're going to talk about waiting on Jesus. How about that? The present, the future and waiting on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that in the midst of a chaotic world, that God, as we press into you through prayer, as we press into you through your word, that God, you give a supernatural peace to us all. And God, I'm asking that even at the beginning of this message, that for every heart in here that's been troubled, for every heart in here that's been full of anxiety, for every heart in here that's been in disarray, God, we're asking that you would release your peace by your spirit even now. And God, as we open your word, we pray that you would help us to know how to daily press into prayer, that we might experience that same peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you have a Bible today, turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. Again, this is a psalm written by a man named King David, who was the second king of Israel. And David was a man who was known to be after God's own heart. And every time we mention David, I'm going to mention this fact, that he was a man after God's own heart, because that's the type of people we should aspire to be. 
men and women after God's own heart who ultimately do everything that God wants us to do. How many people can say amen to that? That's the kind of people we want to be. Say, God, I want you to have pleasure in me. God, I want you to be pleased with my faith. God, I want you to be pleased with the way that I interact with the world around me, whether it be my own family, my friends, my coworkers, my neighbors. I want you to be pleased. I want you to do, I want to do everything that you want me to do. Now, the thing about King David is that he was a man who, though he was favored by the Lord, he also knew many troubles while he walked with the Lord. How many people have ever read the story? of King David, okay? And so what we see is that even though you can be a man or a woman who is favored by God, it does not mean that your present is without trouble or toil. It does not mean that you do not have issues that you have to press through in your daily experience and learn how to come into the peace of God so that you might actually honor and glorify him in the midst of that time. And David, King David, shows us how. So let's start in Psalm chapter 62, starting at verse 1, understanding this, that we find our present peace by waiting on Jesus. We find our present peace, not our future peace, but our present peace, meaning that you can have peace today. You can walk in the fruit of the Holy Spirit today, walking in tranquility, a harmony of soul, walking in a rest in your soul because of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's living in you as a believer whenever you press into God. And this is what David's talking about. He said this, for God alone, my soul waits. Everybody say waits. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man or to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. Now, how many people feel like, Sometimes, even though you're walking in the favor of God, and even though you're pressing hard to advance in life according to the goodness and the covenant and the blessing of God, how many people feel that sometimes you experience this very thing? Right? It's sort of like people, even in the midst of you doing what's right, living an excellent life, living a godly life, living a moral life, living a life that honors the Lord, you still have people pressing against you, trying to take you down from, a, from the place, the lofty place that God's trying to place you in and put you like a, on a leaning wall or a tottering fence. Has anybody ever felt like that before? Has anyone ever had someone in the workplace? Or how about this? Even in your own family or friendship group, speak ill words against you in an undeserved manner. Lie about you. Lie about you. Accuse you about things that you didn't even do. If you've ever been there before, then you're in good company. Because the people of God throughout history have experienced that throughout the world. And what we see is that David's showing us how to respond in the midst of that. And David begins a psalm by declaring that when we look to God, we will not be greatly shaken. <laughs> Isn't that honest? We won't be greatly shaken. Because initially, whenever you experience the unforeseen trials, how many people know that it's a punch in the gut? Has anybody ever been winded before by the trials that you experience? And you're like, Whoo? shaggy? You know, you're like, what in the world was that? 
you know what I mean? Where did that trial come from? I was doing everything right. I was trying to obey God, honor Jesus, live according to his commands, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes this trial. And that's why David says, listen, I need to wait in silence on the Lord. I need to wait in silence on the Lord because I know that in our busy world, I will not find true peace until we slow down enough to get quiet. How many people know that that's true? Okay, I'm going to sit here quietly. (laughs) It is true that with all the responsibilities, it is true that with all of the warfare, it is true with that all that you experience on a daily basis, the reality is, is that the peace that God wants to give you as a fruit of the Holy Spirit usually only comes when you slow yourself down enough to get quiet. Quiet your soul. That's why I like living in Chicago, because we actually have seasons here. I just, like I said, came back from Florida with our conference, and there's a perpetual heat there. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it, but I love Chicago because it's sort of like, listen, even though we live, go from one extreme to another, right, we have 100-degree days, don't you worry. <laughs> Winter is coming. Well, we'll have negative three-degree days, and those are beautiful days, right? When you, amen? Okay, <laughs> that's where we live. We have the right gear. We can experience those things. But the truth of the matter is, is that in the midst of those extremes, we need to slow down enough to get quiet before the Lord that we might actually receive the peace that he has for us. There was a man named Richard J. Foster in a book that I want to commend to you called The Celebration of Discipline. And discipline isn't a dirty word. It's a godly word. The Celebration of Discipline. It's one of my wife's favorite books. And in this book, he talks about the need for the people of God to maintain God's peace by getting silent before the Lord. And he says, the most difficult problem is not finding time, but convincing myself that this is important enough to set aside the time. Isn't that true in all your life in God? That it's not that we can't find the time, but it's actually just convincing ourselves that it's important enough to slow down, get quiet with the Lord, and actually meet with him, that actually he commands it and there will be a benefit as a result. That's a challenge for each of us. And waiting on God means that sometimes you have nothing to say, but rather know that you actually need to hear from God. That's why you're quiet. A lot of times we equate our prayer life to just spitting things at God, yelling, screaming, pouring out our souls. But sometimes God wants you to just come to him and be quiet. Be quiet because you need to hear from him. He already knows what you need. He already knows what's on your heart. And part of the way that he cares for you and reorients your life is allowing you to quiet your soul before him so that he might speak to you speak to you out of his word, speak to you out of um, by the Holy Spirit through prayer, and strengthen you. What we see is that it needs to be our prioritized posture to do this. And God has called David's fortress in the middle of the verbal attacks of his enemies because he realizes that until you embrace the fact that life as we know it, both for Christians, and if you find yourself in here today just 
searching out or trying to figure out God, even for non-Christians, you need to understand that life is war. There is a spiritual battle going on around you on a daily basis that you experience the results of, but you don't know how to put words to it all the time. You feel it in your mind. You feel it in your emotions. I almost feel like Morpheus up here. You sense it, right? <laughs> it's behind every corner, right? But it's the truth. It's a spiritual battle that each of us are going to experience in this life. And the truth of the matter is, the only way you'll experience peace in the midst of it is if you get quiet before the Lord and reorient your life around his truth and prayer. There was a man named John Piper who said this, you cannot know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. You hear that? You cannot know what prayer is for until you realize that life is war. He reiterates and says, life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. How many people can say amen to that? It's not always war. It's not all that life is, but it is always that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief in our world. And what we need to do is reorient our thinking about prayer if we're going to advance in the midst of the war that we're experiencing. Because the truth of the matter is, there is no demilitarized zone. Does everybody realize that? You can try to hide, you can try to pretend that things aren't happening in the world around you or even in your own personal psyche and life. But the truth is, there is no demilitarized zone and either you're pressing forward in God or you're going backwards. That's why Jesus Christ said, you're either gathering with me or you're scattering. And whoever is not for me is against me. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said you're either advancing because you understand what this world is doing to you, what this world is about, and what God's kingdom purposes are about, or you're taking steps backwards in your convictions, in your holiness, in your zeal for God, which God says to maintain your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That's actually a command and a responsibility that he gives us. And the only way I'm not going to get buffeted to death the only way that I'm not going to end up living an apathetic, complacent life is if I press into God in prayer and posture myself in such a way that I go up in worship as a response to the accusations, in response to the persecution, in response to all of the daily pressures that I'm experiencing. You see, whenever the Israelites were worshiping in the Old Testament, they went up to worship in Jerusalem. And what they went up to worship for is that it was on a city set on a hill. So what they saw was not only the perspective of their enemies coming at them, but they knew that God on high was able to vanquish any enemy that came against them because they were going to see it from a distance, call out to God, and God was going to strike out against their enemies. But the only way we have that perspective is if we go up to God and worship to get his point of view in the world in which we're living. I need a daily God-given perspective to maintain my peace. Isn't that true? 
Otherwise, I start fending for myself. Anybody ever been there before? Start fending for yourself and then start doing things that godly Christians don't necessarily do. In the workplace, in your relationships, because you've lost your peace. You've lost your center in God. And the problem is, is that we run to substitutes rather than God in the midst of life's chaos to find our peace. Isn't that the truth? The question is, is what are those substitutes for you? It can be entertainment. When the world is in chaos around us, anybody find themselves binge watching a show that you don't even care about? We are inundated with, with programming now. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Inundated with programming now inundated to the point that no one can even relate with the show that you binge watch because there's so many different options that they don't know what you're talking about. But people find, try to find their peace in finding escape from the world and the real issues that they have to deal with by going into entertainment. Some go into alcohol. Some go into drugs. Some try to find their refuge in their wealth, their career. How about this? Their looks. Anybody ever spent hours upon hours just trying to find peace of mind in the gym? Obviously not me, but the point is, <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm saying that it happens with people, right? Some people try to go to a new environment, a romantic relationship, or their hopes that they're placing inordinately on their children. Anything that you think will protect you from the harsh realities of life. But when you pursue these things without a Christ-centered devotion that defines our interactions, they ultimately will enslave and destroy us. If you look to those things for your peace, they'll ultimately enslave and destroy you. How many people know that that's true? When we stop to wait on God, all things are part of their proper perspective. Our past failures, our present struggles, and our future hopes. And our future hopes, all in the light of the cross and the resurrection of Christ. So God wants to meet us with his peace in our present, but he also wants us to have peace looking to our future. Anybody a futurist in here? Anybody, do you know what I mean by a futurist? Anybody ever take the straight finder test? Okay, anybody, nobody's a futurist? Okay, sorry. Well, here's the thing. It means, it's like you think about what's coming. That's all. <laughs> okay, anybody think about tomorrow sometimes? Okay, you're a futurist. <laughs> okay, when Jesus says, actually, don't worry about tomorrow because each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me tell you, that is for me because daily I live with not only what I have to do today, but all my responsibilities tomorrow. Anybody live there? And sometimes that tries to steal your peace as well. But we have future security because God rules over that which we cannot control. Isn't that the good news? And this is what the psalm continues to say, starting in verse 5. He goes on and says, For God alone, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope, my hope is from him. For God alone, wait in silence, because my hope is from him. You see, first he wants to give you peace in the present, but your hope has to do with what you don't have. Your hope has to do with the future. 
Your hope has to do with what you have not experienced yet, and ultimately, no matter how hard you try, is out of your control. And how many people know, ultimately, your future, to a large extent, is out of your control? Can everybody embrace that? It doesn't matter how diligent you are. The Bible says diligent hands will rule, but diligent hands will still die. Everybody know that? Doesn't matter how, doesn't matter how many youth-defining defining products you put on, you will age. Come on, young people. Some people are ready to walk out now. They're like, this is blasphemy. <laughs> you know? I'm going to the tanning bed right now. I rebuke you, Satan. You know, listen, let me tell you something. There are things and realities of life that are out of your control. And God says, put your hope alone in me. Oh, God, I'm putting my hope in you. David says, he alone, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. And then he declares this. He gets his feet underneath him. He says, I will not be shaken. I shall not be shaken, right? At first, he says, I won't be greatly shaken. Then he says, no, I will not be shaken. I'm getting my feet underneath me, you see? And that's what the Word of God, when you're in the presence of God, that's what it begins to do to you. It begins to firm up your soul. It begins to firm up your thinking. It actually begins to firm up your emotional state. Has anybody ever been an emotional wreck before? Anybody tired of being an emotional wreck? Come on now. This is what he's saying. First, it's, he's like, I feel I won't be greatly shaken. But then he's getting some feet underneath him, and he says, God's word, he's my hope. He's my future. My hope is secure. I will not be shaken. You see that transition? See, the, 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 the God that we serve is in the details. The God that we serve is in the details. Was that Max McLean? Okay. It's in the details. And he's saying, I will not be shaken. Why? Because on God rests my salvation, my rescue, my deliverance, my eternal hope through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's where my hope ultimately lies. And my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him, not some of the times, but at all times, O oh people, Pour out your heart before him because God is a refuge for us. Selah. So first he says, listen, first you need to come before me in silence. Let, and ultimately God's saying, let me speak first. <laughs> you ever have friends before that they just talk too much? Yeah, come on now. We all have friends like that. And you're just sort of like, you, have, have you been intimate with somebody enough so that you could just say, can you shut up? <laughs> enough. Sip it. <laughs> right? Sometimes that's us with God, right? We need to first go to him to hear from him, but then here's the beauty of it. It's a two-way street. Then he says, pour out your soul to me. Once you reorient your life around my truth and what I have to say, then speak to me and pour out your heart to me. But for God alone, we must learn to wait in silence, for from him comes our hope for the future. Though people, this is important now, though people may encourage you, you must learn to look to God alone as your rock. You hear what he's saying here? People can encourage you, 
but God alone needs to be your rock. And so many of us go to people first to get our encouragement. And if we cannot get our encouragement from people, we're despondent. When God's saying, listen, people will encourage you, but I alone need to be your rock. And what that will do is it will bless your marriages, your relationships with your children and friends, because you will not put an inordinate pressure on them that truly only belongs to God. You hear that? Sometimes people look for from their spouses and friends what they should be looking for from God. And therefore, people are always a disappointment because they can't do what God can do. They can't always be steady. They can't always be faithful, but God can. Because God remains the same, forever true, forever the same. And God alone can help you in all things. And I I love this. Let, Let me just point this one out, too. He says that my glory and my honor depend on God. Some of us just live for the approval of other people. And we're so driven, so driven in our happiness, just trying to get from somebody else some form of affirmation telling us that we're good enough, we're smart enough, we're valuable enough. And so you suck the people around you dry, always living in a place of insecurity because only God can define you so that you won't be shaken by the whims of people around you. He says your glory and your honor depend on him when he's your rock. A rock being immovable, unshakable, and that's where we find our peace. When we put our hope in earthly resources, including people, we're shaken when Christ and his word are our rock, we will not be. That's why Isaiah 28, 3 through 4, you've heard it many times from this pulpit before, but he says you keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he or she trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And what it also means is that God is a refuge for us. Again, talking about our future. We all can deal with our present, right? But it's our future that sometimes tries to steal our peace, especially in the world in which we live now. But God being our refuge means that we can run to him for safety in the midst of an uncertain future. And God, in the midst of that uncertain future, wants you to learn to cry out to him that he might strengthen your heart. Philippians 4, 4, 4 through 7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. That litany of things that we talked about at the beginning, he says, in the midst of all of those things, war, inflation, greed, poverty, all the types of anxiety, all the types of political turmoil and persecution, he said, rejoice in the Lord then. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, I love that, be known to everyone. Does that convict anyone else in here? Let your reasonableness be evident to everyone. Most times when I'm responding poorly, I'm not reasonable. Anybody ever spiral downwards? Am I the only one? Come on now. Okay, well then come and pick me up. B will call you. Come and pick me up when I start spiraling, okay? (laughs) Let your reasonableness be evident to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request pouring out your heart be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus isn't that a good promise he says about your future he says if he is your rock what you don't understand he'll still protect guard and make secure for you and the peace of God which goes beyond your understanding will actually guard your heart and mind in him so that you don't have to stay up like this in bed at night anybody ever been there for hours get up get a glass of water and then that only backfires because then you got to get up again to use the bathroom in the middle of the night. Right, so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, God is saying, listen, the peace of God which transcends, goes beyond your understanding about the future, will guard your heart and mind in him. And Richard J. Foster said this, and I'm asking you to think through this quote. It'll be on the website for you if you need it. But he talks about that peace that we can walk in. He says, freedom from anxiety, which largely has to do about the present and the future, right? Freedom from anxiety is characterized by three inner attitudes. Number one, if what we receive, <clears throat> I'm sorry, if what we have, we receive as a gift. Okay, hear that down. If what we have, we receive as a gift. And if what we have is to be cared for by God, and if what we have is available to others, then we will possess freedom from anxiety. This is the inward reality of simplicity. However, if what we have, we believe we have gotten. And if what we have, we believe we must hold on to. And if what we have is not available to others, then we will live in anxiety. You see that? If what we have, we understand was a gift. If what we have, we understand it needs to be made available to others. And if what we have, ultimately God's going to protect, then we can maintain our peace. Because it's from him, and ultimately it's about him, and to be used for him. But if what we have, we think ultimately we've worked for, and then ultimately I have to be like Gollum, holding on to it like the ring of power, like saying, listen, get away, right? Get away from the stuff that I've gotten for myself. Don't you touch it. I'll cut you, right? All of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, anxiety rises up in your hearts because you live to protect what you think you've gotten for yourself. You think it's yours, and that's the error. God says everything that you have in life is a stewardship. Your life, your time, your finances, your relationships. And if you don't lay it down at the altar, your peace is gone. When you lay it down at the altar, God burns it up with his holy fire and releases to you a peace that transcends understanding for your present and your future.
That's why we need to wait on Jesus. And we need to look to Jesus who will ultimately redeem and restore all things at the resurrection for those who are waiting on him. And that's why Psalm 62 ends by saying this in verse 9. Those of low estate are but a breath. But a breath. We're all here today, but tomorrow I'm going to be dirt. Anybody ever have the dust in your home? Guess what? That's you. <laughs> ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Right? You're here for a moment, and then you're gone. Every one of us, those of low estate are but a breath, and those of high estate are a delusion. They think they're something they're not, but they will be brought down. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. And so to be kept in perfect peace, we must align ourselves with Jesus, the Prince of Peace. This means that we must value what God values and see the world as he sees it, for he designed it as such. To address or approach the world other than the way that God designed it will end up inevitably in destruction and a lack of peace. But if you align yourself with God's values and so into what God himself values, then peace is released. You see that? Because if you don't, it's broken. You're building a broken life. If you build other than the way that God designed the world to be built. And that ultimately will steal the tranquility, the peace, ultimately the joy that will, will otherwise have been yours, even as a Christian. Even as a Christian. You hear that? It's not enough that you call on his name. Unless you align yourself with him, the fruit that could otherwise be yours is stolen. But we will be kept in perfect peace when we have a realistic, eternal, everybody say eternal, eternal perspective towards that for which other people strive. Last quote from Richard Foster. He says this, because we lack a divine center, our need for security has led us into an insane attachment to things. We really must understand that the lust for affluence in contemporary society is psychotic. It is psychotic because it has completely lost touch with reality. We crave things we neither need nor enjoy. We buy things we do not want to impress people we do not like. How many people can say amen to that? Okay. <laughs> All right. Where planned obsolescence leaves off, psychological obsolescence takes over. We are made to feel ashamed to wear clothes or drive cars until they are worn out. The mass media have convinced us that to be out of step with fashion is to be out of step with reality. It is time we awaken to the fact that conformity to a sick society is to be sick. Conformity to a sick society is to be sick. Until we see how unbalanced our culture has become at this point, we will not be able to deal with the mammon spirit within ourselves, nor will we desire Christian simplicity. 
this mind. Let me quickly say amen to that. What ultimately steals our peace and inwardly and also with God is the misalignment of life's priorities. But our greatest joy is coming back into a right ordering with God. A right ordering with God where we reject all the things that Psalm 62 ended talking about. Don't go into extortion. Don't go into robbery. Don't go into living for the things that the rest of the world is living for, thinking that by it you'll attain the life that you were always looking for. He said, trust in God at all times, not only in your present, but also for your future. And ultimately, you'll have a reward that cannot be stolen, shaken, or deteriorate because it comes from the throne of heaven, purchased by the precious blood of the Lamb who took the sacrifice for you and for me so that we might turn to him and live free. This is why he says, again, last scripture, 1 Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Everybody say living hope. For our present and ultimately our future. Into a living hope. <clears throat> through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is beautiful imperishable you hear that the inheritance that god gives through christ jesus through the forgiveness of our sins is imperishable undefiled and unfading Everything else will perish. Everything else will deteriorate. Everything else will ultimately fail you. Can we let that sink in? So our work done to the glory of God, that's a good thing because God will reward each man or woman according to their work, right? But the things that we value and we pursue should ultimately be that which is imperishable, unfading, and that which cannot be taken or shaken because it's oriented around Christ and his purposes. Does this make sense? I'm trying to take my time so you can think it through. He said, it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And again, we've been in the last time since Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Stop reading the National Enquirer. Okay? <clears throat> in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, something's going to be revealed. How we live and how we have lived is going to be revealed. And it will be judged. Each man will get according to what they've done. 
Now, the salvation is a gift from God, but the reward is based on what you do. You hear that? The salvation is a gift from God. The reward is based on what you do, what I do, and it will be revealed. So what we do, we want to be that which is worthy of God's eternal reward. You hear that? God's eternal reward that won't perish, that won't fade, that cannot be taken or shaken. Though you have not seen him, hopefully this is true of us, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we are called to forever grow in peace as we orient our lives around the reward of Christ, that which cannot be stolen, taken, or shaken because God himself preserves our eternal reward. Amen? All right. Based on that, let's pray. Bow your heads, please. Father, we thank you that you've given us the hope of your supernatural present peace, not only now, but forever, as we look to you and orient our lives around your word, your kingdom, your purposes. And God, we're asking you today, in Jesus' name, that you would shake us free from all of the worldly, earthly, superficial entanglements for which we daily strive. And God, give us an orientation that is founded forever in you. Lord, we thank you that you ultimately call sin missing of the mark. And sin ultimately leads to death. But Jesus, you came to deliver us from that death. Through your sinless life, your example, your miracles, your death, burial, and resurrection. And God, we pray that you have everyone in here by your mercy enter into that today and everybody just keep your head bowed we're, we're having a moment of reflection a moment of reflection to say God test me and try me see if there's any offensive way in me so that I might be led in the way everlasting let's make this a prayer to God God reorient my life in you God, set me free in you that I might actually live in the peace that you want to give me that surpasses all understanding, not just in my present, but in my future. And I want to pray for anybody in here who says, keep your head bowed. Anyone who says, you know what? I've ultimately had a misalignment in my life. I've loved the things that the world loves, and I've ultimately shied away from the things that God loves. I've hated having to be identified with the things that God wants me to be identified with, and ultimately it's led to my lack of peace and my torment of soul. I, I want to reorient my life in Christ today. If that's you and you want prayer for that, could you raise your hand? We just want to start by praying for you. Okay, anyone else? Okay, all over. Anyone else? Father, I do just pray that there would be grace, grace released today 
to reorient and almost like going into Jiffy Lube and getting a, an alignment of the tires. God, we pray that that would be done inwardly and that you would release your supernatural peace by the Holy Spirit as they trust you now and going forward in Jesus' name. God, we're praying that you deliver us from secret and also sins of which we're not aware. Knowing the good that we ought to do and not doing it, that's sin. Knowing what we shouldn't do and doing it, that's sin. God, deliver us from both. In Jesus' name. And if there's anyone here who says, you know what, I've never submitted my life to Jesus Christ. He's never been Lord. And if I stood before him today, I would actually have to stand before him a sinner ready to be judged. That my life is worthy of not just death, but hell. But I don't want it, and I want to turn away from it to the cross today. I want to receive what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross today. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. We always like to make sure. Is there anyone in here? who says, today needs to be my day. If that's you, please make sure as we have an ending to the service that you meet somebody over at the prayer banner. And we'd love to stand with you and talk with you about next steps. But God, I just bless your people today. I bless them, God. I bless them because you first blessed them through Jesus Christ, your son. And we pray that there would be a shoring up of all of our hope, our trust, and our rest in you as you are our fortress, our rock, and our refuge. In Jesus' name, amen.